Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. We worship you today. Come on, if you're comfortable with it, just lift a hand to heaven. Let's worship him for one more moment. The the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. So, Lord, I thank you right now that you baptize your church. Father, in the love of God, you baptize us afresh and anew in the Holy Spirit. You baptize us in joy and love and peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I bless these, your people. I bless every campus right now. I bless Amarillo. I bless Dumas. I bless Owensboro. And I bless Henderson, Kentucky. Lord, I thank you that you're going to make us a thousand times more. Our sons, our daughters, who we are as a faith people. Lord, make us a people of legacy. Not just looking for a tomorrow return on investment, but for something that's generational. I pray that. I pray that. We'll be like the stars of the sea, stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor tell them you're lucky you got to sit by me. You're lucky. You got to sit by me, and welcome to the house of God. We just want to welcome you from every campus today and let you know we're so proud of everybody that's investing into their family. I mean, how many of you know there's no better place to invest yourself than the house of God and the family? I mean, those two places are what makes the world go around. So we're just excited that you're here with us today. Brian and I are going to talk to you today about Relationship Playbook. We believe every family needs one. Every team looks different. And it doesn't make one playbook wrong and one playbook playbook right. It just means that it, when you have your plays, you run those plays and you run them well. And everyone on the team knows about the playbook. They know the plays that you play and they have the ability to understand and go forward and move the ball down the field. How many of you have ever played sports in your life? Anyone in the room tonight or this morning? Goodness gracious, it's a long, been a long morning How many you never played sports but you played darts or something like that? Let's see your hands too. I don't All think right. that works. Praise the Lord. He called volleyball not a sport. How many of you uh, girls? would disagree. A sport. Thank <laughs> you. Like, That's trouble. what he said the first service. Uh-huh. It was evil. I'm I was just teasing telling her because she played volleyball yes, growing up, right? Teasing her. And I played well. All right. Come yeah. on. Okay. She spikes Let's me go. every time you get right in the face and I walk <laughs> out in the morning. Played volleyball. Oh. Hey, okay. well, here, here's what we're, we're, we're talking about playbook and uh, everybody needs one. Yeah. And, and that works whatever, when you're talking about a playbook, you're talking about a culture is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. The Bible says vision is very important. The scripture says where there is no vision, the people perish. How many of y'all want to be a person of strong vision? Can I get an amen out there? Right? Because if you don't know where you're going, the world just kind of pushes you around. But I've watched people that had vision boards and vision walls and vision statements that never did anything practical to get to that vision. All right. So I've heard guys say it like this and and teachers, uh, leadership people talk about this. They'll say these words. They say, vision is where you see yourself going, right? For the Lord, for your family, for whatever it is. But culture is what you do day to day. All right. And culture eats vision for lunch. 
Culture eats vision for lunch. We could have a vision to be debt-free, but how many know if we buy everything we see every day, that is our culture, and we are never going to be debt-free. I could have a vision to lose 30 pounds, but if I supersize everything I drive by for the next three days, how many know I'm not going to lose 30 pounds? So the culture you keep is more powerful than the vision you see yourself doing. And, and what we want to talk about with the Relationship Playbook is creating a culture for your household, creating a culture for your family, uh, beginning to design a culture and not just let what happens in your world happen, but come on, come on, life isn't just happened to us, his church. How many of y'all believe that we are going to happen to life? Somebody give God a hand clap. You want to happen to life instead of having life just happen to you. Amen? Absolutely. And I think everybody comes from a team, you know, whether your team was dysfunctional or it was functional, you still came from a team, whether they had a playbook or threw it in the trash, you still came from a team. So whatever your household looked like growing up, you tend to just think that that's normal. And Brian and I came into our marriage with two very different playbooks. We, I was from a family of all girls. He was from a family of all boys. I was watching Lifetime. He was watching sports. I hate we, lifetime. That was the least of our problem. I hate sports. We, that was the least <laughs> of our worries, and we had major communication issues. My family screamed. His family walked out when you did. We just we were really just having this clash of the uh, of of really. Uh, unfortunately, we're very both very, uh, not unfortunately. It's, it works out good if you use it for the right thing. I shouldn't say that, but no one feels sorry for anyone in our family. As we talk today. Do not feel sorry for anyone because everybody gets theirs in this household. I'm That's telling right. you, life is good. And we both are very aggressive, very much leadership oriented, and we are lead, we lead the whole team. And if I don't, if I don't know what the play is, then I will run it. So if I know that I have a position and I have a place, then I am very capable of following that. But if no one's leading, I'm going to lead, and my children are the exact same. So we realized very early on that it was very important that everyone know their spot, that everyone understand what's going on, that everyone feels comfortable, that they are being led, that we are communicating that leadership is happening, that we're going to make great decisions for the family. We're going to pray about them. We're going to let God lead us, and then we're going to run the play like there's no tomorrow. And if your kids and your wife know that, it's so easy for us to get behind that play. But if we don't know what's going on, then sometimes people get in the wrong spots, and we find it all the way through scripture. So I want you, if you're taking notes today, to write down Proverbs 25 and verse 24, because in the scripture, we see the wife affecting the family. It says this, is it better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman? Can anybody say amen? Amen. Women <laughs> can affect the world. That's awkward, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> The men said it. Like, they were like, do I say it? Do I not say it? Do I say it? Do I not say it? She's going to hit me. I like awkward. Uh, so it's this, fun for me. We swim in awkward. So yes. this is the deal. I, you have all of these people around you and the wife. You can make a difference. You change the whole household atmosphere for your kids, for your spouse, and you can choose to be happy. People say, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Well, I say mama can be happy anytime she decides that her God is the Lord. Because the Bible oh. says that happy is he whose God is the Lord. And so we can change our, our effect on our family by the words of our mouth, changing the way that we feel. Listen, everybody has bad days, but we have the ability to control our soul. And the Bible also says in uh, Proverbs 10 verse 5, that children affect the atmosphere. It says, he who gathers in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who causes shame. Children can affect the entire household. 
depends on if they know where their position is and if they play it. 1 Peter 3, 7 for you note takers. Husbands, likewise, uh, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayer may not be hindered. How many of you want every single prayer that comes from your household to be heard by God? Amen. So if husbands aren't running their loving playbook, then something happens to the entire family. We affect the entire family because the Bible literally says that if you're not good to your wife, that it hinders your prayers. Your prayers won't be answered. We all need our prayers to go all the way to the throne room and get heard, right? And so as we position ourselves as the playbook as that we've set out and as we write it down, talk about it, and we come up with a plan, God is then able to bless our family in ways he can't bless us if we're positioned poorly on the team. Yeah, how many of y'all recognize that how your family lives, what they do, what's going on in your family affects every area of your life as well? Yes. Can I get an amen out there? Now, now your spouse can't make you happy ultimately, but how many know they can make you miserable, right? That's, that's <laughs> the way it works. Uh, if it's you've got true. a kid that's doing something crazy, that's somewhere in the back of your mind. You can have a peace that surpasses all understanding, but that's, uh, that affects us. And that's why the culture of an entire family unit is so important. It's so powerful. And, and people will say about family, you know, it's, it's not fair. And, and I'll tell you, it's not fair, but it is family. Yeah. And that's the way the world goes around. But I think we can get ahead of some of these things. We can correct some of these things. And we can create a family culture yes. that works. I've had the privilege of, of ministering uh, quite a bit. Uh, in Ireland and in Scotland, and I uh, love going over there. I was over there one time preaching in Ireland. I was down in Dublin, and a guy came down from Northern Ireland and uh, found out my last name. I said, he said, what's your name? I said, well, my name's Gibson. And he looked at me, kind of perked up. He said, your, name, your name's Gibson. He's talking this Irish accent. He said, do you get mad? I'm like, oh, yeah, I go crazy. You know, he's like, he's like, listen, I know exactly where your people are from. He said, you're from Kentucky. I said, yes, sir. He said, listen, you guys were Scots that settled in Northern Ireland. And then you moved to Kentucky because you liked the hills from Ireland. And he said, they called you hillbillies because you were Protestants that served King William, a Protestant king. Do you know hillbilly came from the servants of King William and they lived in the hills. Then he said, they called you guys rednecks because when you went out to war, you would put a red bandana around your neck and it was a symbol that you were covered in the blood of Jesus. How many of y'all want to be a redneck if you're covered in the blood of Jesus. Amen. I didn't know any of that. And uh, he started talking to me about how these families started. And I started looking at, at crests of a family. A lot of the, the Europeans had that. The Brits had it, the Scots, the Irishmen. They would have a crest. You could see like an old English looking crest. And a lot of times it'll have a motto on it, right? But they'll have some kind of motto. And what these guys were trying to do is they were trying to shape a culture in their family according to their name that went on past them. They were trying to shape a legacy. I'm telling you, it's one thing to live for tomorrow. It's another thing to live for a legacy. And creating a culture that your kids come up in, come on, you grandparents, your grandchildren come up in, you can change the future by changing what you're looking at right now. I, I was talking to a guy, one of the largest ministries in, in the world, uh, just this last week. And he was talking to me. He's, got, he's been exposed to every kind of world leader you can imagine. And uh, he was talking about different extremely successful people. And he started talking about the billionaires he'd been around. And he said this, what you'll find about a lot of the billionaires, they're not looking for a return on investment tomorrow. 
They're thinking about what their money and what their family will do in two or three generations after they're gone. Come on, we ought to start thinking like people that will live a legacy. Christians are not just about the here and the now. Come on, we're about generations that are to come. We ought to put together the greatest culture in our family on earth because our children are going to be taught of the Lord. Come on, give God a hand clap every campus if you believe it. We can have a, a culture that lasts and changes the world. Amen, Jess? Absolutely. And listen, some of you, your name hasn't been good. Every generation before you, people have cringed whenever they heard your name come across their desk. If they heard that you were going to a place, people have cringed at the name of your family. And you feel that. But let me tell you something. It only takes one person standing at the exit ramp of the highway of life and saying, we're all getting off here. And just make the direction. It's one generation between someone cringing at your name and someone loving the fact that you're going to show up because they know that when you get there that your family's going to bless them Amen. that your family's going to be joyful that your family is going to bring something with them to to hand over to someone that blesses their life and the difference is when we lift our eyes up and don't just look at ourselves but we begin to think about what we are going to be who we are going to be we start teaching our children not what our family's always done or what grandma always said but what Jesus says about us, who we are in Christ, what the Bible says that we can yes. do, who we can become, and we start teaching them and training them in the ways of the Lord, something changes on the inside of our kids. They go from being self-focused to being outward-focused, and when that changes, your destiny changes. The next generations change, and getting that is so important, and I think in the house of God is the be best place to receive that. So hopefully you guys will come with us on this journey over the next few weeks, and we're going to start today with just that word, order. There is order in every house. It's necessary. How many of you know if you work anywhere, if you go anywhere, if you do anything, someone has to lead everything. Nothing happens without a leader. And we love leaders in this place. And so I, as a, as a wife, I love it when my husband leads our house. I love it when he tells me where we're going. I love it whenever he decides that we're going to do something. Sometimes I don't like every detail of it, but I can come along with the play if I I know that I'm being led somewhere great. It's really important that your wife and your kids know that you will lead. There's a comfort in a leader. Amen. Uh, a leaderless culture produces nothing. No. Like, like I, I was raised in a small town, Western Kentucky. Some of y'all may be watching from there right now. And we had a grocery store that went from being owned by individuals <laughs> yes, to becoming owned by all of the employees, right? So it was employee owned. And I took Jesse, I moved her back. Uh, you know, she grew up out here and then we went to school in Tulsa. And, and then I took her back to my hometown of 2,000 people and she loved it there. It she was, was so disturbing. excited. And, uh, she walks into the grocery it store was. to buy some groceries one day, and there's a guy looking at the produce smoking a red. Right? <laughs> he's sitting there smoking, hanging over the produce. I was like, is that a thing? And, Can and we do like, that? I didn't know you could smoke in a grocery store. I'm like, welcome <laughs> to Providence, huh? And uh, we go over, and she starts looking at, like, they're selling meat in there and stuff, right? You know, it's a grocery store. So she picks up the first thing of meat, and it's like a month out of date. She looks at something else, it's like a month out of date. Yeah. And so she calls an employee over. And she's like, I cannot believe all this stuff's out of date. You're going to kill somebody. And they said, what do you expect? You're at this store. And he said the name of the store. I won't say it right now because I don't want to get sued. But anyway, uh, said the name of the store. And the expectation was so low because it was leaderless. Yes. Have you ever walked into a business and you could tell it was a leaderless business? 
Have you ever walked into a store and the person behind the register didn't acknowledge you were there? How many know that's not an owner? That's someone that doesn't care. You can see it. And so God sets up his economy, sets up his church with somebody that cares. You know, I get the opportunity to pastor this church, which is, is one of the greatest things we've ever done uh, as a people. But how many know this church is not my church? This church is his church. That's Come right. on, Jesus is in charge of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He's in charge, and I get to work under him. Come on, let's give Jesus one more big hand clap for being the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Amen? He loves the church. And he owns it so much he died for it. So he sets up the same thing in a household, right? The church is a picture of the family. The family a picture of the church. Two most important entities on the earth. And so Jesus is the head of every Christian household. And then under Jesus, there's this order where the husband is the head of the house. Now, let me say it like this. Um, Jesse will absolutely follow my leadership. And I know that, that I'm in charge through the scripture and through what's up. And we got that worked out in our life. It's not awkward. It's not weird. But I know being in charge doesn't mean you make every decision. Hopefully. Can I get an amen out there? Yeah. In our churches, we have campus pastors over every location. Those guys make the majority of the decisions here. In my household, to be honest, Jesse says I, I, I make decisions, I lead. Most of the time, she makes the decisions. One of my buddies looks over and says, we all know Jesse's in charge. We're going to do what she says now, right? And, and I'm all right with that yeah. because I only pull rank, and I don't even say it like that. I only make it obvious that I'm in charge when I absolutely have to pull that card. Only the fool pulls a leadership card and spends leadership capital when they don't have to. That's good. Let me say that again. Only a fool pulls a leadership card and spends leadership capital when they don't have to. Somebody say amen to that. How many know the guys, the only two verses they know in the Bible are woman submit and judge not lest ye be judged? Come on. Huh? How many of y'all got a relative that's like that? You know, woman submit. His wife hates his guts. I'm just telling you. She hates him. So what a wise leader does is a wise leader knows that the people in the team they get to lead, some of them are smarter than they are in areas. They see things you can't see. Can I get an amen? How many of you guys, your wife, you wouldn't know if somebody in the room hated you so bad, they were, they were putting a hit out on you right now. And your wife's like, what's up with so-and-so? They hate you, right? Why they feel things. And if you'll listen, instead of just trying to, to ram what you want down everybody's throat, come on, you'll create people that want to go where you go instead of somebody that resents who you are. So come on. Husbands, we're called to be loving leaders like Christ is a loving leader of the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? He died for the church. He laid down his will. He said, not my will, but thy be done so that, that a greater thing could happen in all of our lives. Let's be loving leaders. Can I get an amen, amen. out there? Amen. I think it's important that we know that because... As, let's just talk to the singles for a second. If you are still single and ready to mingle, I am talking to you. Single and ready to mingle. I want to give you a piece of advice from a woman who's been married for 21 years. Marry someone that you think is smart. Not just good looking. 
That's a blessing too. At the end of the day, marry someone you think is hot. I love it. But first and foremost, let's marry someone that we think is smart because there is nothing worse. It's way worse than not being married is being married to an idiot. Amen. So I just, I want to just impress that upon your life today. That's my Aunt Jessie talking, okay? This is my, this is the Aunt Jessie moment in our service today. And this is the reason why, because I want the best for you and God wants the best for you. And the only way that you can appropriately follow is if you think the person that you, that you married is smart. The only way that you can appropriately lead is if you think the person that you married is smart because you have to be able to hand things off to them. You can't do everything, make every decision. And so if you're really a smart Christian, you will go after someone who is going to enhance your life, not detract. I had this great uh, bit of wisdom from someone whenever I was single. They said, Jesse, just keep running as fast as you can. And if you look over and a guy's running beside you, grab his hand and take him with you. And I thought, that's a really good point. I, because I, girls in general, a lot of times we'll slow ourselves down trying to find somebody or speed up trying to catch up to the next group. But if you're running, you're full speed ahead. And there's a guy that comes up beside you spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, and they challenge you and you think they're smart and their business sense inspires your business sense or their artistic ability inspires your artistic ability. And everything about them is challenging to you. That's the person. You might want that guy to just be three steps ahead of you, but he passed you coming by on the, on the lane. I thought about that for so many years before I married Brian. And then after I married Brian, because I thought he was smart, it was easier for me to hand things over. But I still remember early in our life, in our life together, God speaking to me. I was in the room and I was letting God know how terrible Brian was at, at being a husband. I was giving him every detail of everything that Brian was not doing for me and I needed him to help me and talk to him because apparently he doesn't listen to people when they scream. So he's got to hear from you, God. And I was sitting on the floor and I was just shaking with frustration. And I still remember the moment because I was so mad at him and I was telling God and telling God and telling God because God needed my instruction on how to deal with Brian. And God spoke back to me and he said, I didn't ask you about Brian. I was like, gosh, darn it. Why? Why did I even come to God with this? Because I should have known what God was going to do. But I tell you what, when God spoke to me and he said, Jesse, I wasn't asking you about Brian. I want to talk to you about your followership. It convicted my heart. He said, you don't have kids yet. But if you'll submit yourself to the leadership of this house and you'll follow me in the way that I've asked you to follow, I'll give you kids that know how to obey. And that was such a promise to me. I held on to that. Every time that I had to submit my will for the win of the family, every time I had to submit my will to make things work and the play go well, every time I had to submit my will to make that goal, every single time we won together, it was a submission of my heart, of my attitude, not just to Brian, but to the Lord. And because of that submission, God was able to give me the promise that he, that he gave me. Do my children always obey? No. Do I always follow? No. Does Brian 
try and always lead. No, we're not perfect people, but we are people who are being transformed into the image of God every single day. And God has uh, been so faithful to us in that spot, but he had to get a hold of my heart first. He didn't deal with Brian first. He didn't deal with my kids first. He dealt with me first. So I think it's really important that we don't let society set the pace for how we follow, but that we choose to follow because we're strong. I don't have to have Brian. I chose to have Brian. I don't need Brian. I want Brian. There's a difference. I'm not, I'm not just like sitting here like, oh, every day I need him to do, to tell me You're every one step lucky to take. Woman. You got all it's this. Really right true. All of this. Such a blessing. Oh, one blessed woman. Uh, so I, uh, but I do know this. I want Brian in my life. I love Brian in my life and I want our family to win. And so if I want those things, then I have to come into the submission to God, which is laying down my will sometimes, because I know this is going to shock you guys, but sometimes I have better ideas than Brian does. <laughs> Come on. How many of y'all believe our God is a God of order? So we ought to have a family with yes. order in it. Let's give God a hand clap. Come on. The God is a God of order. People say you never know what God's going to do. I'm like, yeah, you do most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. You can see God's character. You know, his ways. God is a God of order. Well, one of the second things we strive to have in our house and in the culture of our house is a culture of unity. Come on. Everybody say unity. Unity. Now, I think in America, we got some bad ideas about what unity is and isn't now. A lot of people think that unity is agreement. Unity is agreement. We live in a fallen world culture now where everybody thinks that if you don't agree with them, you don't love them. How many of y'all felt that out there in the world somewhere? If you're not okay with what I do, you don't love me. You don't agree with me. How many parents out there of teenagers have ever strongly disagreed with your teenagers about a lot of stuff? Can I get an amen? How many of y'all disagreed with a toddler who wanted to stick a fork in a light socket? And you know, or how many disagreed with a kid that wanted to put a pot in a microwave and have a weird science type project? You disagree with that stuff. Why? Because you love your kids enough to disagree with them so you can protect them. So listen, sometimes the highest level of love is disagreement. The parent that says, no, nah, I'm not agreeing with that. How many know that there's things in the culture now people are calling for everybody to unify with, and some of that I can't unify with because it's ungodly, and I'm not talking about that right now, but I'm talking about we can be unified even though we disagree, and it's powerful in a household. Every time you disagree with your spouse, if everybody feels it for six months and we're burred up like porcupines and the kids know you're mad and, you know, you're throwing the remote control around and acting like a silverback ape because that's what men do when they get mad. Uh, if you're doing that in the house, you're making the house funky. And if the lady won't talk to the guy when there's a disagreement, you can disagree and still be unified, keep a spirit of love, peace, joy, and the right atmosphere in the house. And we got people watching from Owensboro right now. I love you, Owensboro. And uh, I'm thinking back about 10 years ago, my son turns 10 very quickly. We were renovating that that. He is 10. I'm sorry. All right. He's turning 11. I lost a year this last year. COVID had a real effect on my life. 2020 did. Uh, so my child is 11. I'm now father of the year right now. Just learned that. So uh, how many are feeling better about your parenting right now, right? Huh? And whenever I feel bad about my parenting, I remember that Mary left Jesus in Jerusalem and forgot him for three whole days. She lost the Son of God. How many know we're doing pretty good? I left my kid at Chick-fil-A once, but I didn't leave her for three days. Amen? Go ahead and give yourself a hand clap. Yeah, give yourself, you're doing great. You're doing right? fantastic. So, it's good. So 11 years ago, how time flies, we're renovating that church house in Owensboro, Kentucky. It's 50,000 square feet. We're trying to save money because we didn't have any of it. We were saving our nothing, right? And uh, we would work all day. 
And then we would go in there and guys would volunteer, women would volunteer, and we'd renovate that building at night. And I found that if I left, the volunteers left back then. And I can't fix anything. So I would just stagger around in there, that building with a hammer. Like I was going to, I was going to do something. My hammer was like a construction prop to keep all the workers there that knew what they were doing at night. Uh, we, we renovated that. Uh, had had our, our child, but what we did, uh, my kid came on the day we dedicated that building. We'd sent a flower out to everybody. Pastor's kids are always born on Sunday morning in the service. Without exception, that's when they come. But um, we, we put together a team because I know there are people in the church that know a lot about things that I know nothing about. And I think some of the most powerful words a person can ever say is, I don't know. How many of y'all respect somebody that can say, I don't know? Amen? If you say, I don't know, you set yourself up to learn. So we put together a team, and it had construction guys, accountants, had some financial minds, had all these different people, men, men and women, on the team. We put together a team to put together this building. And here, here was our rule. We had a rule of unity. Whenever we go in here, we may disagree on how we're going to do this. And once we start this meeting behind closed doors and we have the team together, I don't care if you get each other in arm bars and have a wrestling match in here to see how it's going to be done. Because now's the time for the discussion on what we're going to do, how we're going to take care of business. And one of us may think everybody else is wrong. And if that goes on long enough, you have to submit your will to the larger group. But the moment we walk out of this door, even if we've disagreed behind this door, when we walk out of this door, we're going to have 100% unity. Let me say that again. We're going to have 100% unity. And if you come out of this door and you say, all these guys want to do this, but they were wrong, I want to do that, and you start being divisive with the rest of the church, you'll be removed from this team and will never put you in a leadership position again because you can't be trusted because you have a, a disunity in your spirit. How many of you see how that can mess up a culture? Can I get an amen out there? And all those people played right and, and were ethical and great people. Give all them a hand clap that served in that time. Really, really, it was a maturity. It's so true. A household is the same way. Yes. We can disagree, but whenever we walk out in front of our kids, out in front of our world, in front of the church, we pastor. How many know we ought not be throwing haymakers in front of people? We ought to be, we ought to be living right, living in unity. Absolutely. Amen? And we try every single day, no matter who uh, we're in front of, to make sure that no one knows whose idea it was. We don't always master that, but we try to always come out with a common goal and nobody taking credit for the win. The whole team gets the win. How many of you know not just the quarterback gets the win, everybody gets the win. Amen. And so it's important that we do it. I, I want to encourage you today, if you're single, raising kids, um, co-parenting with someone in another house. Half of our families in our church have houses that their children go to on a regular basis that are not uh, always with them. And it's hard when we're talking about culture, people get discouraged and they say, we can't have one. You absolutely can. Those kids are smart. They are extremely resilient and they will figure out the culture of your house. If you will set it up, you say, I don't know how to dwell in unity with this person. Some people just won't have unity and peace. They just won't. But as much as it is within you, the Bible says, let us dwell at peace with all men. And so I think one of the best things that we can do with our kids, if we're in that kind of situation, is make sure that we teach them a few things around the table, that we make sure that we set that culture up in our house. And then 
that we always encourage people, our, our children, to with that other parent, that that time is important, that we love that they have a relationship, that we don't make those children feel guilty for going to that other person's house and say, well, I just, I just wanted you here and I hated it that you went. Because when they're older, they're going to know what you said. They're going to remember how it felt every time that they left. And I know that it's hard in this area because I've watched my friends go through this and walk this out. And I've watched how they've mastered it and some have failed in this area. But the ones that mastered it really did an incredible job of raising kids because they put priority on them having the relationships that God intended for them. Maybe you can't dwell in unity with that person, but you can give your kids the joy of knowing them and not having to feel guilty when they go to see them so that they can embrace. And even if they're all they get is an identity from that person or just nurture from that person for a moment in time, it's better than their heart missing it for a lifetime. So I want to encourage you today. You're doing the right thing. You are stretching yourself. You are doing a great job. There is no playbook for that, but God has given us a playbook for our life. So we have to set that culture up. One of those things in unity is creating a table of unity. Every time that we get a chance to sit down at the table with our children, we should take it. This is just a piece of practical advice. We don't let every meal be in front of the TV just sitting sitting on the floor or on the couch. We don't let every meal be in the car just scarfing it down as we're going to the next ball game, but we take time to sit around a table face to face. Now, Brian's mom is the queen of this, and she taught me the power of this before I ever knew that there was actually studies that showed that... According to uh, mountains of research, children who enjoy regular meals with their family do better in school. They exhibit fewer antisocial tendencies. They're more successful with their peers. They are far more likely to graduate high school, high school and far less likely to take up smoking, use alcohol or drugs, or to experiment with sex. The list of benefits goes on and on. Listen, single parents, I should call you double parents because I'm a single parent. Double parents, single parents, married parents, divorced parents, people that were never married and there's just one parent in the entire world that belongs to them. You have a table. And you can sit those kids around it, look them eye to eye. Brian's mom, she's the best at this. Every single week at the exact same time, she sits the, everyone in the family down and she has a meal with them and she pays for it so they'll show up. And she makes sure that they come and she feeds them and then she talks to them. And when they cut their meat wrong, she smacks their hand away from that meat and tells Amen. them, hey, do better than that. She's such a good grandma that way. And I love it because in my life, she's made things easier for me. She's taught my kids manners. She's taught them respect. She's taught them a lot of things things that I can teach them, but when she reinforces it, they love it and they think that it's fun. And so I think you grandparents don't know how powerful you are in setting a table and inviting people around it. Your immediate family, yeah, give them a hand clap, all the grandparents out there. Amen. You aunts and uncles can do that for your family, it, but your individual primary family in your household you need to have a meal together. It needs to be set because at that meal, you have the opportunity to look them in the eye, to talk to them about what matters, to set up the next day. We heard great advice from John Hagee's son years and years ago. He said every night there was so much consistency in our family because my dad would sit at the table and he would say, this is what we did today and this is what we're going to do tomorrow. And just as simple as we're going to go to school, we're going to go to the, your ball game, and then we're going to come home and we're going to eat a meal. It's a very simple thing. You don't have to feel pressure that you have to have an event every day for your kids. They're fine. 
we try to entertain our children. We idolize our children. We get into sin idolizing our children. And God just wants us to have a family system where they can come in, be loved, be talked to, and dwell together in unity. Set them up for the next day where they know what's coming and allow them to flow in life with a, a little bit of peace, that under, underlying peace that flows through their life. That's a part of dwelling together in unity at that table. When you gather your kids together, you say, Jesse, it's just me and one child. Great. Take them to a meal, look them in the eye, talk to them. You say, Jesse, I have seven kids. Nobody sits still. It's miserable. They're all under the age of seven. Guess what? God's created you for such a time as this. You have what it takes. And those kids were given to you for a reason. They're a blessing. Set them down, talk to them, and let God move in the midst of your family. Amen? Amen. Come on, there's something powerful about eating together. You see it all through the New Testament with Jesus and his disciples. And we're not saying you have to have a big meal. You cook, you can get the fast food, put it on the paper plate, but sit down and look at each other in the eye. Come on, let's stand up on our feet. We want to get to pray for you. And uh, I just believe this. I believe that a supernatural unity, a supernatural order, and a supernatural help is going to come into all of our households no matter where we are. How many of y'all want that in your house, man? We want the blessing of God. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Come on, if you're comfortable with it, lift a hand to heaven. We want to pray over you. Father, we pray right now for every person under the sound of our voice. Father, we pray that we would create a culture that honors Jesus, honors the word of God, and that changes the world. I speak success into every person here. I say, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. For then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. I declare our sons and our daughters, they have a voice in the gates of their city. I say, the Spirit of God is poured out on our descendant, and your blessing on our offspring. Lord, show us what kind of culture we need to create. Right now, I just pray that the voice of God would start to speak to us on what we want in our house, what we want in future generations of our family. And I pray we would sow those seeds deep. Lord, let us plant a seed, a tree, that we might not ever set in the shade of, but the next generation will. Lord, I, I declare it. Lord, I, I thank you that these families are legacy families. Legacy families. Because we are part of the family of Christ. I bless these, your people. And I pray you lead God and direct them in Jesus' mighty name. The church said, amen. Will you give a big hand clap to every campus pastor as they come?